0: All right, let's give it up for the worship team. You guys are more fired up for Juan to, to lead the worship than I think you've ever been for me. Don't worry, my feelings aren't hurt. Okay? Uh, great job. And uh, thank you so much to, to Rick and Jennifer for sharing, uh, for sharing your story with us. You know, it's always so powerful when we get to hear how the cross really has affected some of the, the heavy parts of our lives. Um, and just really appreciate you guys. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for coming. We've, uh, as a church, been doing a, a sermon series out of the book of Galatians entitled The New Creation. And we're going to continue with this sermon series uh, in Galatians chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, I want you go ahead and open it up to, to Galatians chapter 3. And we'll uh, we'll jump into it pretty quickly here. But while we turn there, I wanted to just quickly recap, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, Galatians was written to a church that had a problem. There was a problem with false doctrine that had spread, and the doctrine was uh, that in order to become a Christian, you had to first become a Jew by following and living by the Old Testament, and then you could become a Christian. And so Paul spends the majority of this letter trying to correct this and get the church back to being focused on the correct gospel and following Jesus. And our relationship with God, we, we mirror this in so many different ways. We've already talked about the last couple of weeks, that we tend to drift from the truth and go back to our old unrighteous ways of thinking, or we tend to incorporate things into our relationship with God that were never supposed to be there. And they're not biblical, and so sometimes we need to be reminded of what's important and what's true, Amen. So we're actually going to go ahead and just jump right in here. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You like the way it starts off? You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? So so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has already been duly established, So it is in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. We'll stop there. How many of you guys feel like you just got all that in one sitting? All right, good. Church is over. Let's go home. <laughs> now, I wanted to read the whole thing here together because we're going to kind of work backwards a little bit. But uh, this chapter is a powerful chapter. Paul starts it off with a bang. The very first sentence he says is, You foolish Galatians! The Greek translation, when it says the word foolish literally translates to, you stupid, senseless, Galatian idiots. It's like, you know, my daughter's in elementary school now, so you dumb, dumb heads. (laughs) You morons. What is wrong with your stupid, stupid brains? You get the feeling he doesn't care about what he's saying very much? Like I said before, if if I started a sermon like that, I would probably get fired. You know, there is actually kind of a right time to talk about this. We'll kind of see what he gets to here. But for us to get engaged with this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Paul's place for a moment. You foolish desert cities church of Christ. You with me? Yes. Alright, great. Alright, cool. Here we go. Alright. Why is he talking like this? In this chapter, he moves the attention to the importance and significance of faith. they had had traded faith as Christians in order to become a bunch of goody-two-shoes rule followers. And we've been talking about this. You might have noticed as we've been going through Galatians, there's a running theme. It's kind of getting a little bit, in some ways, tricky to kind of figure out how to like preach some of the same stuff that Paul says in every chapter in the book of Galatians. But I want to recap here real quick what we've kind of talked about already. So in chapter 1, he talks about the whole idea, you know, remember good news, fake news, that you said you guys are turning away from the gospel to a fake gospel. You guys are turning aside from Jesus to listening to something that doesn't have much to do with Jesus. Then last week, Scott preached about being crucified with Christ. Oh, that's what that's supposed to say. That, that we have been called to give up an old life for a new life, not go back to the old life. All right, and this week our title... You guys will probably like this. It's faith, fool! (laughs) That the goal of this chapter is to pull the church back to a place where faith is their aim. Not being just a bunch of church going rule followers. And the theme verse to the day comes from verse 11. It says, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Let's say a word of prayer and let's dive in here. God, I want to thank you so much for the chance to uh, to be in your word together today. Thank you so much for, for how, how powerful it is that your word that was written 2,000 years ago is still so applicable to our hearts today. And God, I pray that you help uh, soften our hearts and prepare us for what you want to teach us here about faith this afternoon. God, I pray that, that we'll clear aside the distractions the things that can pull at our hearts and our attention, that you'll speak powerfully through me, God, but that, but that as we leave here at church, that we'll not just have heard a good sermon or whatever, but that, Father, will leave here really being ignited again in, in our thoughts and in our faith. We love you so much. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen. All right, so as we dig into this a little bit more, I want to start on the back half. Part of why I want to read the whole thing on the front end is because we're going to start on the back half a little bit uh, from verse 15 to 22. I'm not going to reread it. Uh, But to kind of set set the stage a little bit, I think, for what God's intention is in this scripture. And what Paul does here in those verses, you may have noticed, in in the, the heavy wording of the Old Testament there, is he wants to help the church to understand the purpose of the Old Testament and God's laws. Why was it in existence? And what does that have to do with their battle today? And Paul takes everybody back to the book of Genesis, to Abraham, one of the first church fathers... And what he does here is he brings up with Abraham the first real partnership covenant that God made with mankind. He made one technically with Moses, or not Moses, with Noah. But Noah didn't really have any responsibility in that. He just said, don't worry, I'm not going to flood the earth again. Amen. Hey, but with Abraham, yeah, amen, amen. Um, with Abraham, there was a little bit more to it. The, the summation version is he said, all right, Abraham, if you will have faith and trust in me, I'm going to give you a son, even though you're an old guy, in your old age, even though statistics and science says you shouldn't have a baby, I'm going to give you one. And not only am I going to give you one, you're going to have so many descendants, they're going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And he takes it a step further and goes, and not only am I going to give you descendants, I'm going to give you a promised land for you and your descendants. But you've got to be faithful and trust me. What's powerful about this is this was 400 year, 430 years, as Paul says, before Moses. And the significance of that was Moses came with the Ten Commandments, with the Levitical laws, with all the do's and don'ts of the Old Testament. So 400 years before Moses got into the scene, he makes this, these promises to Abraham. And what Paul is really trying to get at here is, well, as we look at even the life of Abraham, is that Abraham... Did these things to God, for God, and he did them very imperfectly. Abraham was a hot mess. He messed up a lot. But it says that he believed God. He had faith, and he obeyed, even though he obeyed very imperfectly. But he was faithful. Matter of fact, as you might have noticed there, Paul calls him the man of faith. You know, we always refer to father, or Abraham as the father of faith. Paul quotes in in, in verse 6 here. He says, So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The word believe there is in the same family as Pistis of faith. What, What is he trying to get at with all this? What's important for us to grab? God's original intent with his people, always, even in the Old Testament, was for us as his people to walk with him in faith. That didn't change when the law came about. It didn't change at any point in the Old Testament, and you know what? It still hasn't changed today. Back in Genesis, when mankind was first created, this was always the goal—to walk with God in faith. Are we clear on that? So this is still God's intention. But then Paul continues on here and he says, "Okay, but why the law? Why the rules? Why did God have to throw rules?" Into the mix. If we're just supposed to live by faith, why rules? In verse 19, it tells us, it says, why the rules? It says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, because of sin, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. It says the law was given because you and I are messed up people. The intention was never was never excused. God never changed his intention, but in the intention, we don't tend to live by that. We don't live based on our created intent. We live based by flesh, don't we? I'm hungry, therefore I eat. I'm mad, therefore I yell. That's how all of us operate. We're rational animals, as Aristotle called us. Emphasis on the animal part. But I want you to picture, first to wrap our heads around this, I want you to imagine an island of a hundred people. Okay? An island of a hundred people, and you say, okay, you guys got to get along, and the intention is, love each other and respect each other. How long do you think that will last? Not very long, right? We've all seen Lost, probably, or read Lord of the Flies at some point in your life. You know that good intentions... Don't ever last very long. We tend to get messed up. Human nature takes over. And you know, because human nature takes over, we need rules. We need rules in order to survive in our society. And you know what? As people, even though we might not want to admit it, we like rules. There's a comfort that comes with rules. If you know my wife, my wife is a rule follower. I am not. I am much more rebellious in my nature. I look for ways to toe the line. I have been since I was two years old. But my wife loves rules. She's all about, like, she wants to know what the rules are wherever we are. Partially so we don't get in trouble, but partially because we don't want to get embarrassed. She's all about the rules. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, rules can't save us. Rules have no power in and of themselves. We have a constitution as Americans. Right. We know that there's laws. We know that there's rules, but people still kill each other, still take things from each other without asking, lie, but we still sin against each other. See, even though government is always going to be flawed and we have a pretty decent rule system in the U.S., I would say comparatively, it doesn't change human nature. That's part of why people get so frustrated. When you try to make life about politics and politics doing what you want, it just won't happen. Hate to break your heart. Humans are still humans. And you know what? Life comes with rules. In my marriage, there are rules. I don't date other women. She doesn't date other men. There's rules with our money about how much we can spend, how much we shouldn't spend. There's rules about the kind of detergent I'm allowed to use. Okay? And many other things. I don't want to get into it. I love my wife. She's awesome. But is the point of my marriage to follow rules? What if the standard of my marriage was how good I was at following the rules? What if my marriage was based on, you know what? Jake, you're so good that you've not cheated on your wife in nine years. Good on you. You have a great marriage. Is that that, that the, the lowest level that we have for good? No. If that's how my marriage would be based off of, we would be missing the good stuff of our marriage. That's not what my marriage is based on. It's based on love and faithfulness to each other. Right? And because of love and faithfulness, I obey the rules. We'll get more into this. And just like in our relationship with God, you know, there, there is obedience. There is repentance. There are rules that come with a relationship with God. And we'll get into that a little bit more in chapter 5. That's chapter 5 of Galatians. But what Paul is trying to get at here is he says, look, the point of the law was not to put everything that you got in your relationship with God on following the laws the laws were leading to something better. Paul actually basically says, you guys are missing the point. Even you Jews who are trying to obey all the rules, you're missing the point. God is always wanting faith, and the rules are supposed to lead you to Jesus. In verse 22 in the NLT version, it says, but the scriptures, specifically he talks about the law, declare that we are prisoners of sin so received by God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, look, the rules just tell us how jacked up we are. The rules are supposed to point us to the fact that, man, good Lord, we need Jesus. Ultimately, what he's saying is it all boils back down to faith. And if you've been around church for a long time, you probably can quote a lot of faith scriptures, right? These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. There's a whole chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11, just dedicated to showing us all the faithful people of the Old Testament. How important faith is. But I don't know about you, but I have a problem with faith. Problems with faith. Faith is intangible. It's not empirical. It's not easily measurable. It's scary a lot of times. And it's very fleeting. Or No, no. It feels fleeting. We'll get to that in a second. The nature and definition of faith is to trust in something that you can't clearly see or touch. In an invisible property. But as important as it is in the Bible, and in my relationship with God, I know this, it's super elusive to me sometimes. And part of why that is, I think, is, like Darren shared, Darren and I are in the same clan of, of emotional people, is I tend to confuse faith the way that I can confuse love sometimes. I can see it through the emotional lens. Faith and love are are very similar in that way, that there are emotions that come with them, right? You can feel love, but is is that what love is? I can feel faithful, but does that mean I am faithful? There are times when I just feel head over heels in love with my wife, and it's awesome. And there are days when I don't know (laughs) if I feel head over heels. Does that mean I don't love her? And the same way goes with faith. This is one of the things I struggle with. Is, is I want to feel faithful. But as anybody in a marriage knows, if you dedicate your marriage based on whether or not you feel like you like each other, it ain't going to work. It's so of the most annoying things that I hear in the world is when somebody says, I fell out of love. No, you didn't. You don't know what love is. You're chasing a feeling. Amen. Doggone it. Even like to go on with it, yeah, that was a freebie. Um, like even to continue on this. Does anybody hear the parable of the mustard seed and get frustrated? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Okay, this goes into, it's hard to measure because if Jesus is a mustard seed this big is all the faith I need to move a mountain. And I look at that and go, then comparatively, I must be on the atomic level. Or better yet, the subatomic level. I'm, I'm like, you can't even see my faith with a microscope. If that's all it means, because I jack up the, the, the perspective, the measure, the way that I'm supposed to look at faith. And God has continued to let me learn different things throughout my life about what faith is supposed to be. And sometimes it's even been outside of a church perspective. And I'm going to share a story with you. Um, in college, I took one of the hardest classes I took in college was a technical writing class. And my teacher, my teacher was mean. She had a dark heart. Um, just kidding. Uh, but one of the things that she was big on for technical writing is she was trying to teach us about, about how to do, like, the scientific writings and doing research papers correctly. Like, if you went into the sciences, you got to know how to do everything, whatever. But her big thing was that, was that she would tell you what to do, but she wouldn't give you a rubric, she wouldn't show you. She wouldn't give you a piece of paper in your hand and say, do it like this. She would say, these are the kind of things I'm looking for, now go do it. And then we would all stare at each other, what are we doing? And then we would go and ask her, what do we do? She'd ask your neighbor. This is my entire semester. It was the most insecure class I've ever had in my life. Okay? Like, I mean, I'm working hard. I'm like listening. I'm taking diligent notes. You know, she was like, and, and she told us at the beginning of the class, look, I have a different grading system than, than anything else, okay? She said, you could choose a traditional grading system, but you don't want that grading system. You want my grading system, because my grading system grades on improvement. So we all felt threatened, and so we went with her grading system, and you would get papers back with a check minus. <laughs> I, I'm happy. 50% sure that I got a check plus minus one time. But the part of my brain that goes, what does this mean? Would get these papers back and go, what did I get? I'm not okay right now. And this continued through the whole semester. Okay, She she figured out something, though, because everybody was at that class 10 minutes early every single day looking at each other like, what assignment was due today? Did she tell us something? Are we missing something? Anyways. All this stuff, and I could share many more stories about this, about this class, but it was super challenging. I ended up going to, to meet with the head of the department because I tried to talk to her several times. She brushed me off and would not like, give me straight answers. She kind of told me it was like on me to figure it out, whatever. And so I went to, my, to the head of the department, and she was like, you know what? She said, who's your teacher again? And I told her the name, and she goes, every semester at this point in the semester, I get a couple students from her class. Just stick with it. And it's going to be worth it. And I left that meeting thinking they're conspiring against me. <laughs> but at the end of it, I, I did this. I, we had this huge, monstrous, like 50,000 word paper at the end of the semester. It was, it was crazy. And she ended up pulling me and this other kid outside of the class at finals week and said, hey, I want to let you guys know away from everybody else you guys got straight A's in my class. You guys did awesome. Come meet with me for a meeting afterwards, and, and we'll talk through it, but you're not allowed to tell anybody. Anyway, so later on, she basically told me, I, I am super proud of your perseverance, the way that you continue to fight through. You try to do excellent work every time. She, she said, here's my number and a card. If you ever need anything, job recommendation uh, for school, letter, any, anything at all, you call me. And part of what I learned through that class, as, let's go back to faith, I didn't know the rules of that class. It was one of the most insecure feelings I ever had in my life. I'm trying to follow this woman to the best of my ability, and I keep feeling like I'm letting her down. I get a check minus, and I don't know what this means, and so I feel like a letdown. But at the end of it, what it it taught me was, you've got to stick with things and persevere, just like with faith, even though you may not see the finish line clearly. What's waiting at the end is worth it. Paul starts this whole discourse on faith for us. Let's go back to the to verse one. By taking them back to their own stories. It says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul does something interesting here because he draws the the Christians, the disciples, back to their own stories a little bit, to their own conversions. And I want you to think, if you're a disciple of Jesus, I want you to think of your own story for a moment what it was like when you first started studying the Bible, when you first were hearing about becoming a disciple, repenting, salvation, all those different things. And I want you to ask yourself, did you meet the good deeds checklist to make that happen? As you were studying the Bible, did you just think to yourself, man, I have been living so righteously, I'm ready for the waters of baptism. Not one of us. Matter of fact, he even takes it a step further to not just talk about salvation. He says in verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain? He draws us, since you've become a Christian, when you think about what you've experienced with God since becoming a Christian, has God done those things because you're so good? Because you were such a great rule follower? No. No. You can see the ties here. There's a lot of things here that you can think about what we talked about when we went through our series on grace. Faith fits in here. It's, 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 a, it's a brother of grace. God worked miracles in you through faith and the Holy Spirit. Not because you followed all the rules. And he's done and he's done this. You can think about some of your worst moments where you still saw God work. Where you saw, saw, he says, where you saw miracles. You could probably think back to times in your life where you saw God do miracles, and I guarantee you weren't in the best place spiritually. And you know what? Not many times does Paul point to your own personal experience. There's something to this. he's, He's trying to get us back to, like, look, look, this all started with faith not because you figured something out and were so good on your own. And you know what the truth is, too? Faith doesn't have to be elusive. It's actually happening right now, and it's happening around you all the time. And there's some of this stuff that I think, you know, I can struggle with. I was even hearing some things recently where, you know, some critics were talking about, like, the the problems with faith, and, you know, you've got to just... just try to believe something that's super super supernatural and super spiritual. But the reality is we make choices of faith every day that have nothing to do directly with your relationship with, with God. You're exhibiting faith right now. You are trusting that physics and gravity are working in your favor. You're trusting that the person who made the pew that you're sitting in knew what they were doing. And you know what? Maybe this is mustard seed faith. I don't know. Like I said, I can't explain that passage well enough. This is a battle that we, that we struggle with a lot. I, th- I see this a lot, especially in kids that have grown up in church. It's confusing these kinds of things. It's thinking that, that as long as I'm, as I'm minding the rules, and I'm a good kid, I'm doing what God wants. And sadly, sometimes as parents, this is how we judge our kids. I got a good kid. At least they're not out doing X, Y, and Z. I've heard this said many different times. Christianity is the only institution in the world where we judge ourselves based on all the things we don't do. You thought that? But I'm, I'm going to share something with you. You know, my faith has, has been struggling lately. My family life has been pretty crazy this year, I would say. And I've shared this before, but if you're new here, my brother brother's actually a heroin addict. And there's been some really rough years in the past. Now, and in actuality, he's doing a lot better right now. And things seem to be heading in a good trajectory. But I've also said that before. And it's taking even a lot of faith in my relationship with him to even try to rebuild some things together because there's a part of me that's. That, that my faith is not good enough to expect that there's not going to be a crash at the end. My parents are going through a lot this year. You know, I know we've shared some vague things about some of the stuff that's going on, but my, right now my parents are really in, in, in up to their necks just dealing with a lot of grief counseling and things from their past that have been really, really challenging, that have been decades in the making. Being around them has sometimes been been a challenge just because it can, you can feel the emotional weight there. And this has challenged me a lot to look at my faith. And I've not wanted to admit at different times that, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't feel faithful, I don't see a clear end in sight. And what ends up happening then is I want to cling to things that feel more tangible. Rather than trusting what God is doing and just being patient. What does trusting God in the unknown, this is a big question I've had to ask myself, what does trusting God in the unknown and uncertain have to look like right now? I, I don't have a clear answer with it. And then what I do, what I tend to return to, my nature is when things get hard, I start reverting to the rules of Christianity as a baseline for my faith. Am Am I attending everything that I need to? Am I tithing faithfully? Am I reading my Bible and praying every day, which that creates its own insecurity in me? Is it quality enough? Or like I said, or I go to the place of, well at least I'm not doing whatever. At least I haven't started drinking. Or started doing whatever, whatever I want, whatever my sinful nature wants to, at least I'm still saying no to that. And that's, and that's how I judge the pulse of my faith. But you know what? That's, that's not what faith is supposed to be. I, I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to have kids. Because I get to learn a lot about my relationship with God through my relationship with my kids. Uh, Peyton has started swimming lately. And if you know anything about my daughter, she wants to be in control of everything. <laughs> At bedtime, she wants to know the plan for the next day. What are we going to do tomorrow, Mom and Dad? Like, like it matters to her. Or she has any control over it anyways. You know? And so swimming and, and doing really anything new can be really challenging for her. She's not a daredevil. She's not a just run out and do it and figure it out kind of girl. She wants to know that she's got control before she does anything. She's a little bit like her dad sometimes. And and with swimming, you know, she's been afraid of new things and has had had challenges at each stage of it. You know, not wanting to get in the pool at all. To, all right, I can trust this floaty is going to keep me from sinking to the bottom. To, I can kick my legs and move across the pool to I can stick my head underwater and I won't drown to I'll jump in the water and I'll come back up. Like at each stage, she is struggling. And at times it's been a battle, like screaming her bloody head off at the top of her lungs. No, Dad, no, no. Like, like this, like it's been a nightmare. But some stages were fun. I want to clarify there. Some stages were fun. But it was also really rough. But part of what I've learned through that, I think is very applicable to the concept of faith. Is that each stage, she's had to have faith to trust me with something that she's not familiar with. Okay, I've never done this without a floaty before, Dad. Are you sure you got me? Yeah, I got you, babe. Are, Are you sure? Yeah, I got you, Peyton. Are, are you sure? Like, the like, yes, Peyton, I got you. Just take off the float. Let's go. But each time that she does that, it's a step of faith. It's trusting in me in a moment where she doesn't know what the outcome is going to be, and everything in her brain says this is going to go badly. I'm going to die or at least swallow a lot of water. <laughs> but each time that she chooses to take that step of faith, it's awesome too, because I get to watch her confidence grow. I get to watch her self-esteem grow. I get to watch her belief that she's capable of more than she realizes. But the truth is, that's all based on the idea, and what we've even wrapping around to is when I trust Dad and do what he says, it's going to be okay. When I trust him with whatever this thing is, it's going to be okay. Matter of fact, it might be awesome. Faith and obedience have an important relationship, but that's kind of a different sermon than this one. The truth is, when I live by rules over faith in my Father, it keeps me on the stairs. It keeps me in the shallow end of the pool. It keeps me from getting to experience the thrill, the depth of a life with Jesus. I can be a rule follower on the stairs. I can walk around in the shallow end with my floaty on and feel okay. But I'll never see what God could do out there. Because God wants to take us to other places. And again, Paul reminds us in this, he says, look, my salvation was never based on following the rules or being a good person. Sometimes we confuse that too. The goal of Christianity is God wants to make us a better person. He doesn't. That's not the goal. God actually wants you to die so Jesus can live in you. But if God saved us Actually, I'm going to show this last scripture here as we close out. Galatians 3.14 He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Look, God started the whole process with you by faith. You had to trust that when when you went down into water and came back up again, that was going to be a redeeming moment that would seal you with the Holy Spirit for heaven. That's faith. You had to trust in a a, a Savior that was crucified 2,000 years ago that you didn't see. You didn't get to touch the holes in his hands the way Thomas did. Everything that, that this is based off of is faith. He even takes it all the way back to the Old Testament with Abraham. That everything in the Old Testament and in our lives, the goal of it is to lead us to faith. It says that God redeemed us not to be good people. God redeemed us so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. If God saved us in our mess, then we can have faith that in the hardship in life, It's for our own discipline. It's for our own character. It's for our own good. We can have faith that the unknown future is God saying, trust me, I will take care of you. Take off the floaty. Take a step into the water and trust that I got you. I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to take you to a deeper place of faith. I'm going to take your life to a better place than you've ever seen before. And it might not look like what you want it to. It might not be what you think it's going to be. But I want to take you to a deeper place of faith and confidence in me. When it all boils down to it, Paul is saying, look, guys, let's not reduce our walk with God to being rule followers. Jesus is not concerned with a bunch of goody-two-shoes Christians. It's boring and stupid, foolish, as he says. Let's remember that it all started with faith. And continue to take, maybe, maybe it's baby steps. Faith doesn't have to be a grand gesture necessarily. Take baby steps with God that will expand and add to our faith. Amen. Love you guys.